1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: So we're in a car right now driving towards Ottawa for a live show. Our lives are in Andre's hands and I'm a little bit stressed out. What would be really, really great to have right now is an audiobook. If you go to Audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand right now, you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. So you won't get stuck in a car for five hours with nothing to do.
3: There's Something to do with the two of us were arguing about capitalism. And you're trying to tell me about like why I should be using taxi cabs and not Ubers. There's a whole lot of stuff to do in here, there's just not really any audiobook to listen to, which is kind of a bummer because I got to listen to your ass for the next two hours. So, have you got a book or not? The Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson is one of my favorite fantasy series. When I was working way west of Toronto and living way east of Toronto, I would pop in the Audible Library into my car every morning and listen to. All of the six Mistborn books written by Brandon Sanderson. Go check them out. They're amazing. Go to
2: audibletrial.com/canadaland for a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. Once again, that's audibletrial.com/canadaland.
1: Also,
3: if the opportunity ever strikes you, never drive a car to Ottawa with Desmond in the back seat. We are recording live from the University of Ottawa. Yes,
2: indeed. Thank you so much to the University of Ottawa student chapter of the Canadian Association of Refugee Lawyers, who brought us here this evening to host a panel. It's Friday, February 26th, which means that we are just a few days away, Andre, from the deadline for the government that they gave themselves to have 25,000 Syrian refugees in Canada.
3: That wasn't the original deadline, bro. This is the revised deadline, don't forget. it, It
2: is the revised deadline. They are planning to surpass that deadline. and Immigration Minister uh, John McCallum says that they're expecting actually over 26,000 refugees to be in Canada in a few days. So what happens after that? Is that that it? Is that a wrap? Like we're done? I guess we'll have to wait and find (laughs) out but luckily we have a great panel here to help us understand that and talk about some larger refugee issues here in Ottawa and across the country. I'm Desmond Cole. I'm Andre Demise. And this is Canada Land. Let's have our panelists introduce themselves. Starting just to my right with Michael Kakish. Hello.
4: Hi. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Michael Kakish. I'm a City of Ottawa councillor and recently appointed by Mayor Watson as the refugee uh, liaison for our city. Thanks for having me.
5: Hi, everybody. My name is Ula Aburashid. I'm originally from Syria. I came here before the war in 2010. My relation to the refugee that my immediate family just made it in September safely to Germany. They left Syria in August and they made it to Germany in September and I'm glad to be here.
6: Hi. Good evening, everyone. My name is uh, Ruba Al-Fatel. I'm a uh, part-time professor here teaching Middle East and Arab politics and I'm also involved with the Rotary Club of Ottawa. What I do is I'm leading a campaign for them called Canadians for Refugees.
2: Welcome to you all. Ula, your family left Syria last summer and made it to Germany in the fall. Yes, correct. We usually start these discussions in Canada about what happens when refugees arrive to a new country, and usually we're talking about our own country. But I actually want you to start us off this evening by explaining to us what has been going on in Syria these last few years during this war and crisis.
5: To be honest, it has been very devastating for everyone inside Syria and for their family members outside Syria. There is a huge uh, issue in Syria. There is fight. Like, the real thing, why I see people left Syria, it's because they are looking for hope. They are looking to live as a human again. And that's very important, that people deserve to live as a human. And that's why the Syrian leaving Syria. And it's not the Syria that people used to to know as a country. Almost 75% of the country has been destroyed already. So there is no life, there is no means to live, nothing, completely, zero. So uh, that's why my family left. They lost their house. My dad is a pharmacist. He lost his pharmacy. My mom is a teacher, lost her school. There is nothing left. There is the fear from all type of... uh, torture, it could happen from any party in Syria. It was a very dangerous a trip. They left on 8th of August 2015, and they made it on six of September 2015 to Germany. And they needed to go from Syria, Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, Serbia, Hungary, Austria, and then to Germany.
3: What's life like for them once they've actually arrived in Germany?
5: Actually, it's pretty good, to be honest. Like the German government and the German people are treating the refugee extremely well. You know, they got all the needs they need from the government and from the German people. They are helping them big time. The German system helping the refugee right away to get in the system. That said, you do your court, you do your medical. After that, you go to learn German language. You start to look for a house. You start to look for a school, for universities. So my brother just Today, actually, he have been enrolled to Berlin University, which is really great, and uh, my little sister, just uh, soon she will have her German language. My parents already know how to speak German, at least the basic, and soon they're going to look for a job, and that's only since September 2015.
3: How does that compare, Ruba, to the experiences that uh, refugees are having in Canada?
6: The refugee crisis has exposed so many uh, issues that we have in, in Canada, but these are issues that are affecting more than just the refugees, so we we definitely need to look at them, especially with the help of our mayors and councillors and so on. One of the major, major challenges that we're facing is affordable housing. We are having the refugees here, but then we are finding it difficult to find for them affordable living. And sometimes they have to live in places that are a bit far from the communities that they might find more help with. For example, we're working with the Christ uh, Church Cathedral and which is located in center town, but now we had to place them in Kanata, very far away from where the volunteers would be, so now we are looking for other volunteers. The second uh, issue is uh, finding interpreters, but Refugee 613 is working on trying at least to match. Finding dentists, most of them come with uh, huge dental issues. But uh, only emergency, high emergencies might be taken in hospitals. but beside that, we are looking for dentists who are willing to help on a voluntary basis. And there are some who are stepping forward, but also they are overwhelmed by the amount of patients that they are getting.
3: So as far as housing issues, I mean obviously that becomes a problem when uh, you know you're not able to live close to the communities where you intend to work. Mm-hmm. What does the financial support look like over here?
6: The donation is not the problem as much as like the finding the affordable house. So sometimes we have the money, but we just can't find a place that's affordable, especially for the size. That was one of the Criterias we had to set is how many members are we able to house in an apartment and most families are bigger than four So they're like between six and some of them are even seven and eight and nine and ten So our criteria was like to find a family between four and six So at least we can find for them a house or a townhouse to live in
3: Councillor Kakish, would you say that there's some catching up that we have to do to be able to catch up to other countries that are accommodating more refugees than we are? Here in
4: Canada, the refugee assistance funding, as well as the social assistance funding, is very similar. And obviously, the federal government is concerned about the optics of that changing. So in terms of giving refugees more money than local Canadians who are on the uh, social housing list. So there is some optics. Now, some of the challenge logistically that's been here in Ottawa, 80% of the uh, refugees that are coming here are the the government-sponsored ones which as many of you know are the ones that tend to have the language barriers, uh, lower education levels and uh, tend to be more challenging in terms of the integration, but they're also bigger in terms of the family, so You're talking about seven or eight family members. And so Carl Nicholson's been having some challenges in terms of the logistical aspect of matching these people with the limited funding that he's getting under the RAP program. So he's having to put some instances, the food component or the transportation component all towards that. In some cases, even taking two apartments next to each other to house one family. So those are some of the logistical components. What we've been very lucky and fortunate in ottawa because a lot of the landlords uh, have stepped up to the plate and offered or waived first and last month or given us a break on some of those things so those are our issues that uh, help us obviously but there's no question i think the influx of newcomers that are coming to ottawa is highlighted and obviously some of the activist groups and homelessness activists are taking this as an opportunity to highlight that
3: but what do you mean that they're highlighting it
4: Yeah, so they're saying, you know, that this is a good time to highlight this in terms of some of the pressures of the gaps, if you will, for financing some of the uh, social assistance programs for, for housing.
2: And Councillor Kakesh, what do you think maybe is like a really basic challenge for new refugees to Ottawa that maybe people wouldn't think about, people who are born here who don't have to take this kind of situation into their mind? What might we be taking for granted that refugees are having to deal with when they arrive?
4: One of the things that the mayor asked me to work on, I mean, other than some of the logistical and assist and, and, and collaborating with all the partners on the ground, is to um, do a job fair. And so we're working with our economic development branch at the City of Ottawa, and um, we're going to be reaching out to a lot of the employers, especially from the Middle Eastern community and the Arab community, and um, giving them sort of clinics in advance of that job fair as well as clinics for the newcomers that are here so that they can be prepared going into this job fair. So get them a resume and get them the basic stuff so that they can get into the job force. Because like I said, I think the vast majority of the government-sponsored ones tend to be from uh, either skills and trades or those type of industries and so we're going to try to get them connected with the employers and we're also as a city of Ottawa economic development branch going to provide workshops for the employers so they know that if you know there's incentives for them as well if they're yeah. interested in, in
3: mentoring some of these uh, refugees. Well one hitch that I'm already seeing is uh, okay. what does a job fair do when in this current employment market I mean even for people who uh, are graduating from Canadian universities or having trouble finding jobs because they don't have the relevant work experience. I mean, Ruba, what are your thoughts on that? Uh,
6: The job fair is good for those refugees who already have the language. The problem is also most of the refugees that we are dealing with, they have very, very limited English or they don't speak the language at all. Interpretation is one of the biggest challenges, because sometimes also it could be very awkward when they come and they have to do the medical exam, and the only doctors we're finding are English-speaking doctors. So now you have an interpreter who is not really specialized, medical interpreter, having to deal with interpretation for medical issues because it's an urgency. So that's one thing, and the language. If they don't get the language, I mean, English is a key for also getting a job. And as you said, there are so many unemployed, very highly educated professionals in this country so what we need to do is really try to look at different uh, options like one of the things that we have been putting on the table is social microcredits for small and home-based businesses for them to start but they need the language that's like the key to everything we have to do
3: do you think that we've been putting in as much work that we could be to accommodate refugees and to integrate them into the Canadian fabric the way that will pointed out that uh, Germany has done
6: Um, In a sense, no, because we want them to go to language schools, but most of them have children, small children. And we're dealing with this with a family that we're sponsoring. So the lady wants to go and learn English, but she has a small kid. And some language schools offer a place for little children, but not before the age of one. So they have to take a bus to a very far away language school in order to find a daycare for the children. So that's one thing I know because I lived also in Europe for five years. So I know in Europe, when it comes to daycares, it's a lot more subsidized and there are a lot more options. That's one. The second thing is for the education and for the universities. I actually did my PhD in my doctorate. I did it in Europe because of the cost. I didn't have to pay anything, zero, for a PhD. Here I would have to pay, I would have gotten a loan for... What
3: a- am I doing with my life? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting you mentioned that actually though because the Ontario government in its budget just yesterday announced that they're trying to make tuition free for some lower income folks. Yes, free-ish. There's, there's some yeah. asterisks.
3: For colleges, and- it's basically free. For universities, there's going to be a big, a bit of a gap but it's still better than... In yourself, sixty or seventy dollars
2: or $100,000. Well, here we are on a university campus, and so I thought I should at least inject that into the discussion. I also did promise that we would take feedback and questions and commentary from the audience. We have one right now. Please introduce yourself.
7: Uh, my name is Sarah. I'm a biomedical science student, so a little bit out of place here. And I'm also the child of a refugee. My mom came to Canada from Poland in the 80s when there was a lot of tension between civilians and the government just as they were starting to rebel against the um, Soviet occupation there. So because of all the political tension, my grandparents decided it would be best to leave. And when they left, my grandfather was an engineer, and uh, my grandmother was an economist. So they were pretty educated. Their degrees weren't recognized when they came to Canada. So I've seen my grandparents living in poverty pretty much since I can remember. And I just feel that it's very unfair that they never got to work in the fields that they were trained in when they came to Canada. And it's been over 25 years since then. How can we address that issue of the brilliant, trained minds that we have coming to Canada in the form of refugees who, for one reason or another, can't actually work in their field because their degree isn't recognized and... Even when they overcome the language barrier, like would they still have to go back to school for another, however, like many years?
2: Thank you, uh, Ula, Do you want to maybe take a stab at that?
7: Um, actually,
5: now I'm uh, working on a program that uh, it's a program initiated by University of Ottawa, and we are hoping to get a grant from uh, the government. It's a program that it will uh, fund education for refugee. So part, it will be fund education for refugee in Lebanon, for the Syrian refugee in Lebanon. And part of it, it's going to be here, that when the refugee come here, for example, and for example, you don't have your original paper, for example, you just left the war zone, you know? So how you come that you have your original paper. So you come here, what are you going to do with this person? put that person in the welfare, never get a job, stay in poverty. That's how it's going to end. That's the reality. There is a barrier about for them to get in, like extend their education. That will help them to get a Canadian experience, get a job, get in the system easier. For example, now in Germany, because I did the research to assist my family, that most of the German university actually doing a program that they accept a photocopy from your paper. They don't need your original. You just walk to Germany. How come that you have your original paper with you? So you come there, you give them your uh, paper whatever you have and they do admission uh, tests whatever your age it doesn't matter there is a program in every university there is a specific department they say yes we will welcome them they will allow them for a year, language and couple courses, a credit, and good to go. Now they have a huge number of of you know young people coming to Germany. What are you going to do with them? Leave them in the welfare? For sure not. They are enrolled them in university, which is fantastic. And a lot of them who's educated, they're going to do now master and PhD.
4: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And actually, I was born here in Toronto, but my dad is a is a family doctor. He studied in Italy, and he had the exact same problem when he came here in the '80s. And so. At that point, he just got married, had my brother, his first kid, and he said, there's no way I'm going to do another five or seven years to get my credentials and practice here. So he just went back home and he opened up his clinic. So there's no question. It's a big challenge. Now, you know, there's obviously provincial jurisdiction here, too, as well. And so there's been some progress i think it's not as complicated as perhaps it was 20 years ago but it is still very difficult for these people who have a lot of experience and you know 20 30 years in some cases of being an engineer or doctor or lawyer to come and ask them when they're 45 or 50 go back to school and start over and do a residency right i know someone that's doing that now actually and you know he's worried about who's going to take him for a residency because he's 50 and he's doing med school And so there's no question that it's a challenge and it's a federal, provincial issue. And a big role also is in terms of the associations, right? Like the medical associations and all those uh, associations that advocate for the members here, right? They don't want an influx of, outsiders to take away from their jobs and you know doctors obviously we know in the province of Ontario are fighting
3: with the government because they're getting another cut I'm sorry I thought we had a shortage of doctors. The the thing I really have a hard time understanding is that why do we allow professional organizations to set those kinds of standards we've got a complete mismatch of labor why do we have PhDs and engineering masters, why do we have doctors driving taxi cabs? Yeah, I exactly agree with what you're saying. The problem is, is that there
4: is a bit of a protectionist attitude in terms of those associations that lobby and advocate. That's their job, is to protect their members. So there's a lot of factors there in terms of, you know, it's a bigger question. But there's no question, again, the Syrian refugees that are coming are highlighting the housing issues, highlighting the credentials, highlighting all these things that I think... Governments have sought on for a long time, and there's a lot of resistance to changing them. Nothing changes overnight in government, so it all takes time, but there's no question. I think there's more pressure to head to that. And you know, I encourage you to contact your member of parliament, contact your local MP and MPP, and, and let them know that this is a big issue for you.
2: Rupa, I have a question about numbers because we talked off the top about this number of 26,000, and that's been a lot of the framing of this issue of refugees, particularly from Syria. How many and how soon? Is there really value in putting a number to refugees that will be brought in from Syria, or do you think that is maybe not as helpful, having this target and then having so much of our energy spent talking about did we or did we not meet the number?
6: I would say that it was helpful at least to get us in a momentum to start this process because have we not had that number at least to start with? We were speaking over three, four years, Sweden was taking already 30,000 refugees a year when we had 2,000. So the doors were completely closed until you know the new government came and opened an opportunity for all these sponsors and you have to see it as an initiative not only by the government, the communities were very much pushing for it And there was um, kind of a pendulum uh, swing completely to the opposite side after the Paris attack. So the communities were very much pushing, we want more refugees. I mean, the numbers were even, we can afford to have 50,000 refugees. And then what happened in Paris, and suddenly everyone was like, oh, let's slow down. Let's not focus on numbers. Let's focus more on the quality of the process than uh, how many. But at least by putting these numbers, we have now a base to start with. I know it's gonna start to slow down after this, and there are also other refugees. I mean, we have heard that there are 60 million refugees, so it's not only a Syrian refugee problem. The problem is that there is priorities, and I would have to emphasize that the priority is now the Syrian refugees, because this is the biggest humanitarian crisis since the Second World War. Before that, it was the Darfur crisis and that's when we were having a lot of refugees as well in Darfur and this was the biggest numbers of people being killed, people being uh, displaced, people being as refugees. So if you just compare it to all the other things that were happening uh, during that period, uh, Haiti, the earthquake, I mean the numbers pale If you look at 12 million compared to 1.5 million, 3.5 million, 4.5 million. So we're talking about a huge number. And that's why the priority and the shift was so much on the Syrian refugees at the moment. But that doesn't mean that there are no other refugees. And I think everybody realized that even the Anglican diocese that we are working with are not just looking to sponsor Syrian refugees, but they're also looking to Eritrean refugees, they're looking to Somali refugees and other refugees as well.
2: Ula, I see you nodding.
6: The day when
5: my family arrived to Munich train station, that's in September when the huge wave of refugees marching from Hungary after Hungary, the Hungarian government decided to shut their border completely. So at that time, they allow hundreds of thousands of people just to march towards Austria and then to Germany. So my family made it to the station, and there were three trains with them from Vienna at the same second, in that afternoon, there's almost 15 to 16,000 persons in that second enter Munich station. Forget everyone make it walking, forget everyone make it to other cities in one second. And actually when they say, when Germany say there's a million, the million who are registered from December 2014 to December 2015 Forget the one who's not registered, who only passed Germany to go to Sweden, Norway, Danimark, whatever country. So so it's, it's, it's funny, but at the same time, you shouldn't forget that those refugees, that they came to Germany or other country in Europe, they just arrived to the border, just like this. They pay their way. They pay to smugglers. They pay whatever way. And some, some people on the road help them for sure, like the Red Cross and other organizations. But in Canada, don't forget the government's paying for those people to come. So it's at the same time, we need to be objective, for it's sure. Different process Absolutely so it's more costly for Canada. even I'm very like you know like emotional about the issue but we should stay objective about this issue as well.
3: I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, because I'm I'm always the cynic on the show. Um, True. But <laughs> one thing I hear a lot is that Canada's been incredibly selective. Like We like to be so proud of how welcoming we are to refugees, but history doesn't actually bear that out. So, for example, we boast about how many Egyptian refugees that we took in, and we boast about how many Lebanese refugees we took in. We boast about the refugees we took in from the Sudan. One of the things that those refugees had in common is that a lot of them were Christians. So when the Egyptians were fleeing sectarian violence, there was a lot of Coptic Christians that we took in. We took in a lot of Lebanese Christians. We took in a lot of Sudanese Christians. Iraqi and Christians as well. Yeah, and we're one of the only countries that actually does that, that identifies religion for our incoming refugees. So we have these really feel-good stories about meeting refugees at the airport and welcoming them and having these like nice Canadian dinners and bringing them like presents and all that. But there's a whole lot of people that we historically have left out, that we've barred entry or just, uh, you know, haven't moved them into the country and and gotten them uh, into safety. How do we square this feel-good image with the fact that we have been very discriminatory as to who we let in? anyone of you can take that one. We heard
4: quite a bit about cherry picking in the last administration, but I'm not sure I see it that way. I mean, I think it's been fairly humanitarian related. I'm not too sure it was ever really politicized in a religious way, as you point out historically. I'm not too sure. Now, obviously, it's a good mix, and you know, it's different. But you know, on the 25,000 number, I think obviously that was a very political thing, right? Because it was campaigned on and with a deadline. So I think that sort of became a contentious issue. And, you know, for the minister, he had to manage that message. And, you know, what's going on? Why can't you get the 25,000 by the end of the year and all that? So I think putting a number and a date is probably wasn't the best idea because yeah. this is not the way we do it. As, as you know, you do the work in advance, you screen people out, you make sure they're safe, you bring them in. They don't show up at your border that, like they do in Europe. So, and I think that's the way it should be done, obviously. But I think, you know, to tie a number and a date, maybe was a bit of a misplay politically right because the media being the media was obsessed with that and that became the story when it shouldn't be right, right? Well, if, if you story. put the number out there people are going you to hold you behind by a month or two or three that's not a big deal we're still welcoming these people at the end of
3: the day to the rest of the panel do you feel that we've really lived up to the canadian image of being humanitarians
6: i'm very proud of the canadian communities with this process, you cannot imagine how many people have stepped up from volunteers to driving them, to interpreting for them. Uh, dentists who are volunteering their time. Even doctors who are already overwhelmed by the amount of patients they have and they're still taking in the refugees. But may I just like answer back the question that you asked, are we Sherry picking? And when we get the list that we are looking and so many people ask, what are the criterias? We don't even know anything about the families. All we have on this list to choose from are the ages and the number of family members. So we don't have even family names or names. So we don't have any indication what religion they are, that's first. Second. Historically, we have had Somali refugees, we have had Iraqi refugees, we have had, from the Kosovo War, we had had 5,000 uh, Herzegovinian refugees, and all of them were not from Christian majority communities.
3: So this is open to the whole panel. What is it that you believe is most important for average Canadian who want to help to be able to come in and do?
6: Your time, not your money. We have actually the funding. The funding was the easiest. It's your time. Hmm. Definitely the time.
5: Yesterday, I get a call from a senior refugee family I met 10 days ago. They made it to Canada. And the funny thing, they can't understand. The guy came from Bell Canada to their house to put for them the Wi-Fi. And she's like, I don't know what he's saying to me. He wants my phone. And I was like, okay, let me talk with the guy. And I was like, what's wrong? And he's like... I want to put the password for her, and she's not getting it. She's like, she's having her phone, she's refusing, And I say, okay, take it easy, write their wi- Wi-Fi password in a paper. When I meet them, I put it for them. Imagine this barrier, that they don't have someone to translate for them inside their house. It's really frustrating. Yeah.
4: Money is still an issue too. I mean, uh, I don't want to be the po- I don't wanna be the Listen, we want to be the politician saying that, but um, too late. It, you know what the- <laughs> uh, Actually, I'm very proud of the work that United Way is doing here, but the key part for us as a city and I think this is what it's not an issue now because it's the first 12 months are as funded by the federal government, but then at month 13 that federal funding shuts down. That's when we're going to start hearing some of those stories. If these people aren't integrated properly into the workforce with the language, where we're going to start hearing those stories of evictions. So we want to make sure that we're doing all the legwork now. Ottawa is obviously a very generous community. People have stepped up to the plate. People have contributed. People have welcomed uh, private-sponsored families into their homes. The mayor also has a monthly um, panel with all the players, the Anglican Diocese, the Jewish um, uh, foundation, the, uh, the mosques and the Muslim uh, groups as well. So there's a representative of the refugee hub. So there's a, all the players come from the settlement agencies, Carl from CCI, from OCISO, all those players. It's a large table. But we have to do that and the mayor thought it was important to do that because otherwise those groups would be working in silos and we wanted mm-hmm. to make sure all our efforts are streamlined, coordinated.
2: We have time for one more piece of feedback, a question or a comment from the audience. Hey, introduce yourself, please.
8: My name is Yasmin Dubani and uh, something what Andre said touched her own nerve. minorities from that region should be repatriated or brought into this country first, because women of minorities are the first one to be hurt. So, minorities should be first. Especially Christians and the Yazidis and the Shiites and those groups, because they have no other way. There are many Shiites now in Syria whose villages were just rescued now, after five years. They went through a hell. Another war that's going on is in Yemen. And you know why you haven't seen pictures of Yemeni, Aya and Kirdi? Because Saudi Arabia wouldn't let you take those pictures. Right now there are bunch of group who were, who crossed by the small boats to Djibouti and they're still in Djibouti on the beach. It's almost a year. They don't have proper food, no facilities, no nothing. Why? Because it's the Syrian refugees are a priority now for the United Nations. So there is another war going on, minority women there, there are mosques that were broken into. It's a catastrophe there, but nobody knows about it. You're right that so many
6: people are affected, but let's not forget that the ones that are really affected by all wars and that we are also having here to host are the children. And one of the biggest needs that we have to focus on, on all those who have seen war and who have seen disaster, is the traumas that they go through. And we need to also work on programs where we have, and this is one of the biggest issues as well that we're facing, is psychologists who are trained with trauma victims, but more importantly, also who speak Arabic. So uh, let's encourage to have kind of a network or a group because we are dealing with children who can't even sleep at night and we don't have the proper mental health that they need to deal with these issues, and I think this is a top priority.
2: I would like to take this opportunity to thank our wonderful panelists for being here this evening. Please give them a round of applause
3: and give yourselves a round of applause. Also, I just want to, uh, oh, okay going, man. Keep going. <laughs> I wanted to give a big thank you to the University of Ottawa, uh, the chapter of the Canadian Association of, Association of Refugee Lawyers. They brought us all the way out here from Toronto. So weather aside, this has been a wonderful experience. Thank you so much. Uh, also, a big shout out to uh, Jacob Saltiel and Emily Bates, who arranged the panel. Thank you guys so much for putting this together. That
2: is the show... If you would like to help us keep this conversation going and we love it when you do, please follow us on social media, Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Canada Land
3: Commons. Our producer is Kevin Sexton and music as always by Nathan Burley. Find us online, CanadaLandShow.com Where you can sign up for the newsletter, Not Sorry. And if If, you want to hit us up, you can shoot us an email, entre at CanadaLandShow.com or or Desmond at CanadaLandShow.com. Imagine that. You can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. And since you like the show, please support us. That's patreon.com canadaland Enjoy the rest of the night, everyone. Thank you so much.
7: Lisa Kudrow was fired from the set of Frasier. Charles Schultz was told he'd never make a living scribbling. Missy Elliott was dropped by her label. And Rita Moreno couldn't land a role of substance for seven years after West Side Story. The stories of famous names, their lesser-known rejections, and the insights those rejections provide. We regret to inform you, The Rejection Podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
2: That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. When it comes to
0: clothes, having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits your life seamlessly, with quality you have to feel to believe. Whether you're stocking up for any weather, or picking up a special gift, you'll find an impressive selection of staples to choose from. So whether you're on the hunt for a heavyweight hoodie, a fleece jacket, or a hard-working pair of warm sweatpants, That's twenty percent off at American-Giant.com. Promo code AnyStyle24.
4: Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
0: This is Roundabout Season Two, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops if we're stopping to get gas. Mm.